back to another episode of Force Proximity. Uh, I'm Jonathan, and with me is my wife, Megan, and special guest and historical romance expert, Petra Orloff. Welcome back, Petra. Hello, I'm happy to be here. So this week, we have... Sorry, Megan, I cut you off. That's okay. We're very happy to have you on tonight. This week, we have... Lisa Kleypas, what is it, the third book? In the, the third, Wallflowers? The Wallflower series, yep. The Devil in Winter. This is the Sebastian St. Vincent book. So that's what, Winterborn? Is that what he is? Is Mm-mm. that his nickname? No, what is that? No, no St. Saint Vincent is his Saint nickname. Vincent. Okay. Is what everybody calls him. Well, Winterborn, if you look, the end of this book, book has a prelude to marrying winterborn that's not part of the wallflower series that's part of whatever series they were promoting with this particular exactly exactly okay, okay. Right. winterborn is part of the ravenel series so okay. that's the kids yes that's the next generation because you'll meet saint vincent's son in that series as well mm. okay so the first two one books from this series I didn't really like. <laughs> this one I did. What? I, I am liked. absolutely floored. I, I thought know. you I... liked the first one because it had the whole mm. engineering, uh, you know, industrial I... revolution, American connection. I liked that part, but the story was so boring. Yeah. Until Until the fire at the factory. You're right. She and she's a. I think she was a pretty boring heroine. Yeah. That first yeah. flower. This yeah. book. I don't know what I mean. It was a. It was a redemption arc. So that's my favorite. And I don't know what captivated me so much about just the day to day business operations of the, <laughs> the gambling <laughs> of the gambling house. I was just really into that i could read a book just about that i love it i love it are you sure it wasn't saint vincent's devilish flair that caught you i liked saint vincent i do too you I you liked, liked him, him in the last one too yeah I, well at first i didn't but then the more i read about him and then in this book i really liked him because mm-hmm. he i told megan in and we're where are we going somewhere i said this is if disney got beauty and the beast right and we saw gaston like just grow up and marry yes. Belle and become yes. a, a fine member of society right you're absolutely <laughs> so this, right i agree this is gaston's uh i don't know his it's redemption awesome. yeah so that that's why, like, because that that's been my fan theory with the Beauty and the Beast is the Beast is the villain, and Gaston would be the hero. I was always pulling for Gaston, particularly in the the last Disney film. I was more, I was more taken, yeah, I was more taken with Gaston than I was with the the yeah. Beast, even when he was uncharmed. Yeah. Well. He could have had any girl in that town. He wanted the smartest one. Yeah. <laughs> she should have been happy. She should have been satisfied with that. 
and you know he was he was the big man on campus so he well, would have been I, he he would have acted like a jerk because he was young and then he would have got older and not been a jerk anymore well i think she would have she would have you know whipped him in shape yeah i think uh Well, I don't know. I mean, he does say some pretty awful things that leads us to believe that, okay, he would not have been redeemed, but I don't know. Nah. But we can just ignore those. Just yeah. like I just find the, the whole metamorphosis from like literal beast to man kind of disgusting. I do too. <laughs> I, you know, just to think about how that actually physically and biologically happens. I don't want to touch that man afterwards. Uh-uh. Uh uh-uh. uh. God yeah. only knows what happens. No, I you know I know shifter romances are huge now too, and I can't do it. No, I can't. I can't either. There's a lot of popular romances that I can't do. I would yes. say that <laughs> do not feel. To <laughs> well, I right. try to give them a chance, and then and then I you know, I just I can't do it anymore, and I have to read some horror. You're a much better mind than I because I, I cannot even I cannot even crack open the cover. Uh, well, I have I think it's a lot of it is um, I, I've got to see what do people like about this? And then I read and read and, and I still I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know what, what people do you like need is this. a romance that takes place in a morgue. That you know, over decomposing bodies. That's the one that she just wrote. I know. <laughs> one that Megan just wrote. That is <laughs> I cannot wait. I'm so excited about this book. Uh, yeah, I have to mail you your copy. I just got them in. Why are we not doing a podcast on your book? We did, well, last we week. did one, it was kind of boring two weeks ago. Oh, well, have me on. I'll like <laughs> things up. Okay. I'll bring the cats or three. Mm-hmm. Well, and right now our cat is stuck in the ceiling. She can get out. She was just halfway out. So she wants to be up there. So fine. Have fun. All right. We've been playing this game, Petra, called The Shame of Life. <gasps> Have you heard of it? Life. No, it sounds so very Victorian. Well, it, the, it's the cards. <laughs> The car, I don't know if you can see it. It looks like a silent movie. <gasps> oh, those are fantastic. I love them. They do look like silent movie cards. And this is the expansion pack. So it's Halloween questions. Ooh. The, the Halloween other- questions. my knowledge. I haven't prepared. No, 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 no. It's not oh, testing no, it's- your. The whole point of the game is to like, you know, liven up your discussions. Yeah. It's and- like, uh, what's, the, what's the other c- cards against humanity? Oh, but, yes. That's, but I not, have them. You're not competing against anybody. No. And it's not just a quick little what the funniest thing. It's, uh, you know, no. it tries to make you, it forces you to answer deep probing questions uh, about things you would rather not discuss. Oh, I'm I'm all in. I love these games. Because okay. I, I, I find the Halloween. I'll just talk about anything. <laughs> the, okay, well, maybe you should ask her the gross question. There are a Good, lot, of, a lot of these cards I refuse to answer because they're too gross. I'm oh getting, I don't I'm getting the good ones because they don't want to hear Halloween questions or listeners. But they're not all Halloween. 
It's yeah. like it's about monsters in Victoriana. Ooh. All right. Let's see. Nope, that's disgusting. Well, see, that's what I mean. It's like there are questions like, what's your, if you had to drink a bodily fluid, what would you choose? Like, it's like, they're nasty. Did I just answer that? Yes. All right. So here's the one that said, Ill <laughs> I, I missed the, I missed the answer. I'm sorry. Well, you may just imagine what I said. <laughs> it wasn't blood. I'd pick urine. I imagine you would pick urine. Oh, no, I picked semen. Oh. All right, so this question will be fine then. Uh, <laughs> dilemma. <laughs> come blood when you sneeze or sneeze blood when you come? I guess that's for me. <laughs> no. We, I mean, supposing that that's a thing. Orgasm, Jonathan. That's a thing. Um, ew. We oh my god. <laughs> Gross. I guess sneeze blood. Because if you come blood, that's like something really wrong. I'm good with either. No. <laughs> I love it. I sneeze, love that answer. Sneeze blood is more of a. That could just be a nosebleed because it's not humid enough. So I'll go with that. <laughs> I like sneezing blood. Yeah. That's the less I've gross. That, I think I've done that before. <laughs> I've yeah. definitely I sneezed think, blood. I think everybody has. All right. Debate. What is the classiest tattoo for a baby? <laughs> for a baby? Yeah. <laughs> Don't say permanent. Oh. Well, that's that's not fun if it's not permanent, right? Should be like just it should be sort of like something on the shoulder, or like the buttock, like these women in the books who have some discerning, you know, birthmark or or something of that nature, like the mark of the witch, or you know, right, right, yeah, yeah. So some like a pentagram. That's what I, I'm going to go with a pentagram. I think yeah. that's most appropriate for a baby tattoo. In I my would world. go I would go with some sort of like uh picture that's a optical illusion that you can see inside of it. Like it, you can see it's exposed ribs. That's cool. Like a horror baby. Yeah. Yeah, huh. I like that. Hank Hank has been picking out his tattoo. Oh, for when he turns you know, old enough to get a tattoo. Good for I him. I told him I would take him at sixteen, but but I have I have the right to like disapprove v of it. Veto. <laughs> yeah, I love I veto the power. design power. I think that's appropriate for you. <laughs> Plus, I mean, you know, just don't get you know Tweety Bird. Or, like, I don't know. He'd probably get Pokemon right now. Yeah. That's not very classy. What, I don't know. Something... taste, though, Megan. So, <laughs> he's in good hands. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think I think the classic, like, mom heart old school sailor. Oh, Yeah, that's, that's good, too. That's cute. That's good, I'm too. I'm just taking my baby into a horror story. 
Yeah. Like an, you know, 1890s horror story. Yeah. All, all appropriate answers. All right. This one, I don't know if Megan's going to answer this one. Describe if your vagina could talk, what would its persona be? <laughs> this sounds like a Seinfeld episode. What would its persona be? <laughs> wow. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I'll, okay. I'll answer. Okay. And, <laughs> um, <laughs> honestly, and not very, this is not very like, uh, words are not coming to me tonight um it's not very flattering but um alex borstein from mrs Maisel. that that would be (laughs) that would be its personality what's her name like the i forget chain smoking oh my god that's hilarious (laughs) the gambling addict yeah lesbian even though i'm not a lesbian but yeah, I feel like that. I don't know. I've always kind of felt like Alex Borstein. And that's like the celebrity that I've most often been compared to, which is also not, I mean, it's not unflattering because she's like, she's a really cool person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she's hilarious. And she's the voice of Lois Griffin. Um, oh. But uh, yeah, I guess. Like, I feel like she's like my, I don't know. She's my alternate, alternate persona anyway. So. Hmm. Am I answering this too? If yeah. you want to answer. I want to. Uh, Kate Beckinsale from Love and Friendship. I haven't seen that. I have no what that, idea what that is. Oh. The it's only thing I know her. It's an Austin film on the, oh. on the BBC. Oh. So, and, uh, and she's extraordinary. Just extraordinary. Is she? Uh, yeah. It's, it's a great film. It's a little open-ended because the, the novel was not fully realized. It was mm-hmm. her earliest, right? I believe. And so it's a little, mm, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really go to the place where you want it to go, but mm. the the performance is extraordinary, and so is the production. 2016 film. Oh, okay. I yeah. like Kate Beckinsale. I'm sorry that that's very obscure, but I do I like think, her quite a bit. I think vampires when I think of her. Yeah, a lot of people do. <laughs> I think right. of Much Ado About Nothing. I do now, oh, too. Yes. yes. And Keanu Reeves' fist pump. Oh, God. I can't. All right. Last one. Dilemma. Okay. You have to either beat up 66-year-olds or six 60-year-olds. Now, this is hard because 66-year-olds will come at you like they'll beat you. That's a lot. Yeah. And six, six, I mean, there's six-year-old dudes that are, most of them are still pretty with it. 60. 60. That's not that old anymore. No. That's old man strength, too. 
Yeah. I think 60 is still young. So yeah, you're really looking at some something. I mean, one six-year-old could beat your ass if you picked the wrong one. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I'm going with six-year-olds because I'm the same height. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would too, just because, I mean. It'd be a fair match for me. It'd be an unfair match for me, like, in my favor, because they're so small. Just pick one up and swing it around. <laughs> as well, much I mean, as I just like Hank, children. I can't pick him up and swing him around. No. He's six. Mm-hmm. But he's, a, like, big. Yeah, he's he's bigger than most of the second graders on his, his teams. Yeah. Six he six year olds over would, his homeschool co-op. Six six year olds would work me. I couldn't do that. Well, I would choose the sixty year olds because I can't beat up children. Well, but, they're not real children, and it didn't say. It said it could be six year old dogs. I don't know which true. sixty of those would kill you. <laughs> but I'm sure there are like six sixty year old women that I like have such disdain for that I would like really relish that experience. So. Yeah. All right. That last one was weird. (laughs) Oh, was that the weird one? Just the last one? (laughs) I think the blood cum was pretty weird. Yeah. They're all weird. Sarabi's down, by the way. Where is she? She just came out of the laundry room. How the hell did she do she that? She walked all the way across the basement ceiling and came out on the other side of the house. She's done this before then. <laughs> this is not new. <laughs> all right. So, oh, get her out of there. <laughs> She'll leave. She'll leave because she can't sit on my lap. All right, so I did not prepare anything for this show because I had the busiest week I've ever had in my life. (laughs) So the fact that I got it read is a miracle. Uh, But we're just going to go through the questions. We're going to go through the, like... Yeah, and you two vamp pretty good when you're on here with these things. So, So what worked in this book? Well, let's do a synopsis first. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I didn't do one. Okay. Well, let's just go through. Okay. If anyone wants to jump in, he or she can jump in. Um, let's go through what? This, you're gonna. You have a synopsis. We'll go through the beats. Let's okay. You have beats. you have the book, right? Yeah. Okay. Go for it. You're you're running point here. Sorry, the cat's drinking my coffee. So it starts out with. Are we saying Evie or Evie? Evie. Evie. In my head, she was Evie. Okay. Yeah. So Evangeline Jenner is um, one of is the shy wallflower from the this group of wallflowers. Um, she's the shy one. She hasn't really been. She's barely been introduced because she's she's so. Like nothing. Um, 
Sebastian St. Vincent is, um, is like the player to end all players. And he has just come like off of a high of (laughs) the high of his career as a rake was kidnapping his best friend's girlfriend. Like you do. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Because he wasn't really thinking. He was thinking about himself, which he always has. Like, there's nothing new for him. Um, kidnaps Lillian. Um, is going to take her to Gretna Green. His best friend comes and rescues her at the last minute. And, and Sebastian is saved from his own poor choices, but he is now basically ruined. He's lost the one friend that he has. Um, he's not... Like what little word, what uh, what little, what little his word meant, and now it now means even less. Um, so he's just he doesn't know what he's gonna do. He's basically destitute because his father has run the dukedom into the ground, and he is going to lose his. He's cut off. Uh, he has like enough money to last the month, and then he has like he has no idea what he's gonna do. So he's basically, you know being an ostrich about it he's sitting in his office like looking at the fire and brooding with a glass of brandy in his hand and evie jenner comes in and asks her asks him to marry her so it starts out with a bang and it starts out really kind of cool because you have this you know the shy stammering wallflower is the one who's doing the proposing to um, the big bad Lord St. Vincent. So I think, I mean, that's, that's the meet cute. They've, they've sort of met, not really. They've never, spoken. they know each other. Yeah. They, Cause they've been to the same house parties and he knows her reputation as, as the stammering wallflower. And if she stammers, that probably means she's not very intelligent. And then he has nothing to do with her. And she has she's a redhead and they're not attractive as everybody knows. And <laughs> <laughs> until she's very attractive because he sees her her hair anew by the light of the fire and realizes maybe red hair is not that bad after all. And she is kind of shapely. So, and I am a little bit desperate. So, yeah, and let's she go has to... a shitload of money. Right. So he basically, <laughs> I love that he accepts right away. He's just, uh, yeah, okay, let's go to Vegas. Is basically it's, his reaction. Yeah. yeah, and then he's still insulting too. I know. Like he doesn't stop being a dick. Even after she, after he accepts her proposal, like you'll be yeah. my wife, but you know, you're not yeah. that great. Yeah. I don't like you. You'll give I'm me a, an heir. It doesn't have to be mine, but right. Just <laughs> produce a child yeah. at some yeah. point. <laughs> but and and that's all she wanted. She kind of wanted yep. to stay in the stay well, in the the I, background and just. I was. I was going to add to it that she wanted to get out of her current situation of living with her aunt and uncle, like mm-hmm. damn Harry Potter under the stairs, getting yes. treated like she's exactly like that. Like yeah. she has a stupid, worthless cousin that thinks he's going to marry her and take all her shit. Eustace Stubbins. 
Yeah. <laughs> Such a the, great name. I like the reference to the Stubbins. <laughs> yeah. The the only way out for her that she could like like the, the out now card was Mary St. Vincent. Or at least propose. Hope he says hope hope well, he says yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah. So her like she's getting bullied her whole life, so the only thing she could think of was marry a bigger bully, like to to fight yeah. back. Yeah, and that and that and she knows how like she knows like she's got him by the balls because she because he just like failed at his plan to kidnap Lillian, her friend. So she knows like he's as desperate as I am. Like mm-hmm. he might actually say yes. So uh, but I, then, yeah, go ahead. I think that's that intrigued me right away. It's like these two people have no other options. Yeah. And that that's where pretty cool stories come out of. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like the stakes are so low that it does. It has the opposite effect. Like they they don't need to make it. Oh, their stakes in the relationship. Yeah, like as a writer, like you always have to like keep increasing the stakes and like talking about like, you know, you have to have like the highest stakes in like in commercial fiction like this. And but, and in this, like really the stakes for both of them, the stakes for this marriage working out are so low. It but it has the opposite effect because the the stakes of the marriage are low, but the stakes of their like personal well being is so high. That is yeah. true. Yeah, and that's that's where your tension comes from. Is this yeah. has to work, or we're both fucked? But it doesn't, though. But he. Does- but in the in the very beginning, he even he just says we will. It, it'll it'll work, no matter what, you know, because we both don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it'll just be in in name, and I get the money, and you get my protection, and there it is. Yeah. Yep. So they go to Gretna Green mm-hmm. and get an anvil marriage. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like a shotgun wedding, but back then. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think it was the blacksmith. The yeah. blacksmith married so, him. The wedding was funny because the blacksmith was kept messing with St. Vincent. He's like, I'm going to do this how I want to do this. And you're not going to stop me. (laughs) I made a note that blacksmith just kept talking and talking and talking. And that was great. Yes. It reminded me. Of. It reminded me of the wedding in the princess bride. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> when Humperding is just say man and wife, say man and wife. Right, right. Um, and it I don't know, it reminded me of something else, and I thought I made a note of it in here, and I don't not uh for a wedding and a funeral. Kind of, yes. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. But his was intentional, the blacksmith. Yes. Rowan Atkinson's was not intentional. No. <laughs> but it was good that we just um that we just watched four weddings and a funeral because of that. Yeah. 
All right, the beats. Where are we? Well, we did the meet cute. We did like the trope is marriage of convenience. Yep. So that's basically the first thirty percent is, or maybe twenty percent, of them like getting to Gretna Green. Well, I I actually thought, and and just to interject before we move on, I think that Claypus is a master of this sort of uh, of the I don't want to call it a meet cute, but the setup. Yeah. Know? Um, and she she comes in heavy and she comes in hard, like in the very first few pages of all of her books. And I, I just find it mesmerizing because I don't know how one how one does that. And and for me, in historical romance, a lot of authors, their meet cute or uh, their setup is too cute and too too bound up nicely for me but yeah. for some reason Claypas pulls it off in every single one of her books no matter how ridiculous and atrocious that setup is somehow she manages to write it convincingly and I don't think a lot of authors you sort of have to suspend the disbelief right yeah, yeah. and you're like okay well you know I'll just get through this part and then we'll move on. And yeah, but for they're meeting reason, now because they have to, because it's a 10%. They have right, to have a meet right. cute. And so it's just, this is what we have to do. I roll, I roll. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's so, I, I, I almost hate them. Like I hate the meet cute. And once I get beyond that, I'm like, okay, I can deal with the story. But yeah. in Claypaws, it works every single time she does it. And I think because they're plausible now. Yes. This woman who's being beaten by her family and basically held hostage escapes and, and finds this destitute man to to marry her. Like it's written so well, it comes off plausibly. But even in the last one where we had, um, you know, Lillian, mm -hmm. you know, and, and she's playing baseball. Right. And he yeah. sees her in her underwear playing baseball, basically in her knickers. And. Um, that's that's plausible, right? It was it's very plausible for that day and age for the women yeah. to go off and have their private moments where they think they're being unobserved, and then the men are actually observing them. Yeah. And then in that first one, where we just have um, oh goodness, Annabelle standing waiting to go into the theater, mm -hmm. and and what's his name um, comes. Yeah, Simon comes up and he 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 starts flirting with her and and then seduces her a little bit in the theater. I I find that to be absolutely convincing as well. And but there's such remarkable setups because I, I like I said I feel they do flow and they are very convincing. Um, and I also thought that the trope here wasn't just a what did you say marriage of convenience. Mm -hmm. You also get that whole virgin rake thing. Oh yeah. Right. You know, yeah. uh, you know, she's going to take, she's going to be the virgin that tames the beast, yeah. but you also get the forced proximity yep. <laughs> of their whole travel to Gretna green. Yes. And that's back. And that consumes a good third of the book or a, a quarter of that book. That, and, and that yeah, I loved that journey. I mean, and how, you know Lisa Kleypas is like a master because you have so much of the book just two people in a carriage. 
Yes. That that's hard to do. It's very hard it, to do. Make it interesting to read and not just interesting but like really compelling. Yes. Like these two characters and you they're both changing in these minute ways that you can't even you can't even like really put a finger on on how they're changing. And it's right. just I thought that was I didn't love this book. I told Jonathan, like, I don't see the big deal. This is, I've actually read this book before, and I totally didn't even remember that. Oh. I remember, like, I, I don't forget books that I read. But I read this, I think right after I, for, I read um, the Autumn one, Lillian and Westcliff's book. Like, right when I started reading Romance, which was a few years ago. And um, and I think this book turned me off of historical romance. Uh huh. Really? I so, I I'm in love with Saint Vincent. For a while, no, I like him a lot better now. This is like fifty percent of the way through. I just thought, like, okay, it's okay, it's okay. And then, and then I got to the end, and I realized, like, I think it's okay. And I, I didn't think it was okay anymore. I thought it was like, it was really expertly written. And it's just, it, it just like, she knows how to hit all the right buttons with, I, and I know you've said like Avon has a formula yeah. and Lisa Claypas had a formula that she had to follow, but it's almost like, there was an exact word count and she had to hit the exact word count in order to make this story work. And she knew how to use every, every word perfectly Yeah, with like no superfluous words. And I, I think, I think the fact that, you know, it's hard to go back. It's hard to go back and, and look at something that's a masterpiece and like knowing what came afterwards was influenced by that masterpiece it's hard to like really see that one one piece of art as the masterpiece that it is and i'm not that this is a masterpiece but you know in any like any in any art, like I do this with film a lot and like, you know, what's the big deal about, you know, it happened one night. Well, it like the big deal is that it like created a genre of film essentially. Right. So that everything afterwards, like, yeah, it might be a little bit more entertaining than it happened one night, but it happened one night, like started it all. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And I feel like that's what Lisa Kleypas is. Like she is, she's like the gold standard and other, other historical romance authors put their own spin on it, but it, they wouldn't be able to do that if Devil in Winter didn't work so perfectly. Right. I think this is her most astute, her sharpest and her most, eh, what do I want to say? The wisest writing that she ever does and I think it's all St. Vincent like yeah. the amount of work she put into creating this one character to me is just absolutely astounding and he gets the very best of her and yeah. you can tell how much fun she's having 
with him. Yeah. Um, and and then Evie, who you would think would be the for me at least, the uh the most forgettable of wallflowers, yeah, is a standout to me because mm-hmm. she's not that oh, you know I hate the virgins. Mm-hmm. And she is a virgin, but she's not that stupid, innocent, yeah. oh my God, what's between your legs, virgin? You know, and yeah. and that shit drives me crazy because you know they've all seen a portrait of some sort of Greek myth <laughs> where there's a there's a dick. You know, they, they have yeah. seen a penis, <laughs> right? Yeah. So they're not that stupid. They know yes. that that thing exists, you know, and <laughs> I mean, you can even see it in Pride and Prejudice, right? When in, in the 2005 version, when Kira Knightley's walking around um, uh, Darcy's gallery and he's got the statues and so on and, and the, the portraits mm-hmm. and whatnot, like there are penises on display. And and so those books where the, the virgin's like, what is this hard staff rottish <laughs> thing? That's protrude, like, I, oh, it drives me crazy. And you would think that Evie would be that virgin, but yeah. she's not. Yeah. And she's not also the other virgin trope, which I can't stand is, uh, what is that thing between your legs? Oh, you've now it's in me. And now I'm a harlot, whore, <laughs> slut, filthy woman, this fucking, yes. you know, just, just a prostitute bitch who just can't get enough cock and that drives me crazy too and evie is not either of those she's just a normal person and like a smart girl who's just an adult because she's had to deal with so much stuff and i love that Claypas never ever infantilizes her. She never turns into the giggly girl child. She's never the the virginal. Oh my god, don't touch me, you know. Yeah. And she's she's never that whore slut. She's just Evie, an adult with adult yeah. problems trying to solve shit in her life. Yeah. And a lot of times like that goes they go overboard with that too and they turn it into the woman is so like um she she's trying to be so independent that she makes just like choices that are unsafe for her oh, and I her husband. I hate that shit too. Like uh yeah. <laughs> like well, I know and- this or is that reckless, that first snark where we're all going to yeah. be angry with each other all the time. We yeah. know we're attracted, but I'm still going to be mean to you yeah. cuz I'm an independent woman. Like yeah. that drives me crazy too. Yeah. Like the idea that independent women have to be bitches, that they they can't be vulnerable, they can't be soft, they can't show love and compassion, they can't fall in love with somebody upon first meeting. Mm-hmm. Like that drives me absolutely crazy. Yeah. Well, I and to, to jump off on Evie, they had their first night. Yeah. And she leveraged that on like if you want this again it's gonna you're gonna have to work for it man (laughs) yeah i love that right because how else i mean yeah she had to do that she had to put that like in not ultimatum but yeah she needed to 
assure herself that he was going to be a safe person to trust. Yes. Yeah. And the it's only way to for her, it's trust. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he, like the negotiation, she's like six months, like six months. I'll probably die. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Three months. All right, fine. Three months. But that led us, Petra, that led us to a conversation that Megan said I needed to bring up. Okay. With yeah. Like your disdain for the this, woman getting hers and the guy going, ah, I'm good when you know that's only... not true. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know Megan feels opposite. No, not necessarily because I think. Well, I read the uh, Eloisa James book that you were talking that you, where the you wild, brought it up. The yeah. wild, he's masturbating in the library. Well, maybe I didn't read that. No, uh, yes, I read that. <laughs> I read that. Oh, I love that scene. It's so real. And I loved it too. And I realized I just read a Tessa Dare where she was giving him a blowjob. And I realized, like, this is a huge turn on. Yes. So maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong and I do need the male perspective. Yeah. Yes. And I just, I. Male pleasure is a turn on. Over, over, like, over, overshot it, maybe. You overcorrected. I, no, not really. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it's like when I actually look at the books that I was reading, like what I thought you were saying, Petra, it was like, you don't want any female pleasure is what I was hearing. No, I do. Yeah. But I, I okay, so, you know, and, and. And perhaps I'm I'm overreaching here, but you know there is this sort of, um, you know, male fascination with female masturbation, right? And and the you know a lot of men find that very appealing, but uh, you know it goes the opposite way too. Women find a lot of women find male pleasure appealing, you know, and and I love that. Um, James included that in her books, and now I've read a few by by the other author whom we shall not name um, because she, she she snubbed my reviews. <laughs> um, but she includes uh, that kind of stuff, well, those kinds of those scenes in her books as well. And um, I find it very gratifying. I find it it to me it's more exciting than when the two when the couple comes together as one. Yeah, uh, I I think because of the sort of illicit nature of of that kind of thing that's supposed to take place behind closed doors and you never see it, right? It's a secret private activity, right? Um, and we're I think we're supposed to think of it. At, well, I think in modern society we think of like you know men masturbating. It's either like a shameful act because they can't get any. Or they're, like, not good with words. Or they couldn't lure a woman away from the bar to go home with right. him. So he has to do this thing. And it's, like, gr a gross thing that he does over the toilet. Like, right. I think that's it's like being, it's, yeah, how it's we're trained gross. to view it. Yes. And it's, um, yeah. 
It's not gross. It's human. It's human sexuality. It can be incredibly enticing. As James wrote it, I thought was absolutely perfect. And I think it I think it depends on the writer and the situation and the character because we still talk about ropes of cum <laughs> from Sierra Simone's novella Supplicant. Yeah, yeah. that was not appealing. No. No, I mean, I it can be very know. unappealing, but I think it depends. You know, to me, promiscuous men who are not ever reformed and they're just like, fuck you, I'm gonna be promiscuous because you mean nothing to me, nothing like any more than you know, getting my pleasure wherever I want to get it from. Like, I think that is what's disgusting to me. I think so, too. And it bothers me that a trope in a lot of these books is that the men have this extensive sexual history. And my first question would be not, you know, St. Vincent, will you marry me? But St. Vincent, you know, do you have any sort of communicable disease? Yeah. Like, I mean, does he have you know, gonorrhea, does he have, you know, like any of these other, these terrible diseases that, that, that one can contract from, from such things. That's what I always think of. Like it's, I don't find it hot. And for some reason, a lot of these authors think it's so hot to have these men with this extensive history. And I would never write a male as such ever Uh -uh. because I would never want that kind of male in my life. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting if you're just fucking anything all the time. I, yeah, I've always, I, I don't know what the big fascination with rakes is. And I thought I was going to hate St. Vincent because he was such a rake. Because um, that's, yeah, it's just not my, I don't, uh, I don't know. I think, you know, you, you, you start to forget his past. Yeah. And, you know, and that's what, again, she does so remarkably through her writing. Like you forget yeah. at the very beginning of the book, I think one of his quotes is, um, my life before you has been a cesspool. Why yeah. do you even want me? Yeah. And and for somebody to think of themselves in that way, you can't help but want to just pick him up and be like, no, you're still a good boy. Like, you're okay. <laughs> right? Yeah. And And that was just... I think brilliant. It was brilliant writing. It was brilliant characterization because he himself isn't like, Oh, you know, I've, and, and there are a few men that I've, I I've read in some books where they're just bragging about it, you know, even to the women that they're about to be intimate with like, Oh, I'll have you moaning. Like I've had hundreds of women moaning and it's like, God, I don't want to be 101. Yeah. Like I, I'm better than 101, yeah. you know, and, and so it's for St. Vincent himself to say, you know, I, I live in a shithole and my life has been a shit hole and I am a shit. It's, I, I find it remarkable. And that's what we don't get from some of these other guys. It's just the bragging all the time, you know, about their, their, you know their prowess in the bedroom and I you know some of that reads good but if I ever met a man like that yeah what a fucking turn off 
Yeah, that's a that's a big turnoff to me. I haven't read it a lot in historical, but that's a huge thing in contemporary. Yeah. And I I don't find it attractive. No. I just think I, yeah. And, and like this, I know eventually it's a if you know, if it's a monogamous HEA, they're going to come together and he's going to reform partially, but is she ever going to trust him? Right. Because he hasn't had a full-on like yeah, she's the one for three months, maybe, but but where's the history of that person having adult relationships with other adults right and and that's that's the issue i think and and I like how, in some of these clay boss books in particular, you get men who have had adult relationships that have not gone well, and that's the sort of breaking point that's mm-hmm. where they need to be redeemed because they've been hurt mm-hmm. and I find that much more compelling. I, I want my characters to be real. I don't I I I, I literally yeah. just don't want to cock and balls on the page. Yes. And I feel like that's that's what we get. And again, in a lot of these too, you know, this whole idea we, we started out talking about the the male pleasure, but that it, it it's it's always the female that's being gratified. And and where is the woman loving her man in return? You know, where is the woman saying, well, you know, this is the, you know, the 16th time in, in one chapter that you've gone down on me. <laughs> you know, like, I, you know, maybe perhaps I should return the favor. Right. Uh-huh. And not in some weird way that they tend to do when they gloss over that in some of these historicals. It's always the virgin who's like, and she put her mouth and tested the kiss and i'm just like oh yeah. my god like just don't even write this it's it grosses like i i such a turn off such a turn off to, to picture that so uh, but again um i've i have read you know blowjob scenes that have been really really hot mm-hmm. and not because they're descriptive but because the man is getting pleasure and that is that's that's a that should be a turn on between lovers isn't that what it's all yeah. about yeah it's not just about the reception but it's being able to give that pleasure and and seeing that other person um gratified by your presence and by your actions yeah i i, I thought that's what love making is you know the give and take and i i find that lacking in a lot of a lot of historicals in particular, mostly because the women are, are virgins, but, um, you know, it, it's nice to see in this particular one, Evie being able to use the currency of sex in, in order to, to, to engender trust and, and to bring not, she's not trying to bring him to his knees and, and hurt him. She's right. trying, she's, she needs this for herself. Right. And she, that's very clear from the beginning, because normally I wouldn't like those games, uh, yeah. you know, when when it's always about manipulating the man. And there's a lot of that in historicals. And I find that just as detrimental. We need to be fair yes. to men as we're asking them to be fair to women. Yes, definitely. If men were writing romance the way women write romance, holy shit, there would be an outcry. Right. And I know the idea is yeah. that we live in a society where men have been, in quotes, scripting 
women for centuries. And I, I do, I do agree with that, but we're consciously like, like getting back, you know, in some of these romances and it it does, I find it not appealing because I, I like men and there are many good, good men out there deserving mm -hmm. of love. And like to get to that, uh, that egalitarian society that I want to have. I mean, there has to be like a level of forgiveness and moving on. Am I, yes. am I off on that? I don't think I, so. I don't think so. I've never met a man that I have treated in a certain way because of what another man has done. It's just another person. Yeah. You know? I know. I don't understand. I, Hmm. It it well, it's kind of like the you know the alpha male in romance where he treats all women like you know just a piece of meat or just you know just a right. roll in the hay because that one woman when he was twenty years old hurt his feelings, right? So he turns into this like you know like one dimensional alpha hole, right? That's that's the same thing mm-hmm. as a lot of these women who are, I don't know. It's yeah. a, it's for me, it's the same thing as these independent women going, um, you know, I, I, but you know, I'm not going to be attracted to you. I'm not going to like you. I'm not going to let on. I'm not going to be nice to you. Every time you give me a compliment, I'm going to be snarky because yeah. somehow that's cool. Um, and I, I can't stand the, the snark. It's, it's hurtful to me to see how some of these women behave in these novels to, to men and to other women. But, um, that snark has got to go. We got to, we have to stop treating men like shit just because it's a woman's novel. Let's show. I don't think, I don't think it's ever going to go because I think people have a problem with honesty. And I think that's another reason that we all love devil in winter. Mm -hmm. Yes. Evie and Sebastian, I mean, Sebastian had his moments where he was trying to white fang her, like, by, he <laughs> yep, was, yep. <laughs> I mean, he was trying, like, he was still, like, he kept trying to do the, oh, well, you know, I'm a rake, so, you know, I'm gonna cheat on you, or whatever, like, he's trying to, like, get these things, like, it's like his last stand, right. of, like, this is who I am, you don't want me, go away, because it's for your own good and you know I don't know if I can love you the right the way you deserve but at the same time like those moments always failed and we they were set up to fail they were supposed to fail they were fleeting and I think apart from that both characters were so honest to each other they were. and I thought that was very refreshing it you're right it absolutely refreshing there was never any um, doubt of where they stood. There was never any, oh, I think you're attractive, but I'm not going to let you know. You yeah. know, they 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 were completely honest. And you do, you're right. You don't get that because a lot of times it's these setups and the idea that we have to be snarky and have the banter and have this and have that. And, and everybody in the world and their fucking brother loves enemies to lovers, which I don't understand at all. Uh- but I love that you don't get that here. You get yeah. two people at the end of the rope who are like, well, we got each other. Let's do something. Yeah. And <laughs> I mean, even from the start, when he said yes, he didn't try to, like, you know, 
he didn't try some, you know, holdout. He didn't try to like ask her for more of anything that she was like, he just said yes automatically. You want to go now? Okay. And then he was very kind to her. Yes. Just kind. Just yeah. a normal dude. Like like just being nice to somebody, which I thought was really, really cool. Um, and right away she accepted she accepted his warmth. Yep. She accepted him like as uh someone to lean back on, like literally lean on. Right. Mm-hmm. She wasn't like, oh, that's not proper until we're until we're you know, man and wife and Gretna Green. I can't, you know, rest my back upon you. Right. I mean, she just she knew what she needed and she accepted it. And that and I it thought wasn't was really sexual. Nice. Right. No. And that's what was also like, wow, it's not like you don't get that in romance where the characters are touching and 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 there's this sweetness that isn't sexual. And but I it was wonder, so nice to see. We wouldn't have gotten it. We wouldn't have gotten that, like, it's not, like, platonic, though. We wouldn't have got that level of concern without the sex if it wasn't Sebastian, though. Correct. Because we got it, we got the sexual right away with Lillian and Westcliff. Yes. And I can't remember so much about Annabelle and Simon. but um, But I think because he was set up we we knew how much of a scoundrel he was. Like he needed to show that he was capable of care in some right. other way. He just knew yeah. how to treat a woman. Just yes. just yeah. flat out. Like you do you do things. You help her yeah. in and out of the carriage. You you make sure she's comfortable. You know, yeah. like like you just treat her nicely, kindly. Yeah. And to see to see someone just treating a woman kindly, and there was nothing to gain from that. Mm-hmm. He already knew he was going to be marrying her and getting money, and his life was set. He didn't mm-hmm. have to. He was just being kind, mm-hmm. and that was that was such a wonderful, wonderful way to set up their their relationship. I thought mm-hmm. without the snark, without the banter, without the enemy's bullshit, they were just kind to one another. Just yeah. normal people relating, trying to work out the next four days of their lives. Yeah. So it sounds like this one was like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> just, just, a, just a normal couple figuring things out. Right. But, but they weren't I mean, a normal couple, though. No. No, they weren't. And it at had the a, same lot of, a, a lot of extra stuff that people don't go through. Well, for me, what I loved was that when St. Vincent truly became St. Vincent, it was at the appearance of Cam, the young man who works at the the gambling hall, right? Mm -hmm. Like all of a sudden there's a rival and he recognizes (laughs) Cam as being kind of an alpha, an alpha Uh figure. And uh-huh. and all of a sudden you get these two men who are kind of like, you know, prowling around each other. And and I love that. I found that because it wasn't that um, that masculinity, that virileness wasn't turned against Evie. It was against another man. Yeah. And I I loved that, that never once did he turn on Evie and become this like, 
you know, get over here now. I'm going to fuck you, throwing her down on the bed, like whipping up her skirt. Like, you know, like. What did you do to him to make him react? Would it? Yeah. Right. Did you smile at him too long? Did you? Yeah. Right. Instead, he turned it on Cam immediately. Like, I don't like you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to just get out of my way. Don't tell me what to do. Like, I'm in charge here. Like, and it was great that those two had to had to work their own dynamic out. Yeah. And they ended up being bros. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I will tell you this. Cam comes back. Yes, I was I wondering. I figured as in much. Hawthorne, in the Hawthorne series. Oh, in the Hawthorne. Oh. Okay. I thought he, I, okay. I didn't think he was, I knew Cam Rowan was is one of the beloved Klaipas heroes. Oh, he's amazing. And I love <laughs> when he's together with St. Vincent, like that's my world. I just want to be in the same room, like like throwing popcorn into my mouth. Just like <laughs> watching. Oh my God. Those two together are phenomenal. Phenomenal. I love yeah, that about this. Reading about Cam sounded interesting. Like he should he should almost have like a detective series. <laughs> I agree. You, but if you ever read Hawthorne's, like, like what bothers me the most about Hawthorne's is that Cam, probably the most, well, I would say other than I guess Saint Vincent for me is number one with a clay pass hero. Uh, West Ravenel, who you'll meet, yeah, is also another one. Um, Sever, Tom Severn. Okay. Is a very, very unique one. And then Cam. And Cam gets the most bland, vanilla, faceless, uh, you know, heroine, heroine uh. of them all. And it's such a disservice. It just completely, like, for me, it was a, such a letdown. I wanted him to have a great heroine. Like yeah. Evie. And well, I thought he was going to end up with Daisy. Well, I never said who he's going to end up with. Oh. Uh. She's pretty nameless. She's pretty faceless. She's vanilla. It's But Daisy's the next beige. book, isn't she? She is. Well, I thought she would end up with Cam in the next book. Listen, I'm not giving things away. <laughs> we'll just have to keep reading. Okay. I I liked Cam. I liked that his he was like streetwise. I liked that he was good with the books. Yeah. He he was just like he was uh I don't know, who whoever would that be for Michael Corleone? Like that would be him. He was uh what's his name? His consigliore. Yeah. yeah. But like way I- cooler. I think so too, because in that family he was an outsider. That character yeah. was an outsider because he was Irish. And, and they're both Irish. Him. Yeah. And Cam is is uh uh He's an Irish gypsy. Yeah, not Irish gypsy. No, he was a gypsy and he's Irish. Half, gypsy, he's half Eastern Irish. European yeah. Roman. Yeah. So he's uh he's a Roma. And he His mom and, was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he said his dad was Irish, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they said. They said that. Oh, okay. Oh. (laughs) Well, we don't have all this. 
We don't have this information yet. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But Cam, I find to be extraordinary. And I love that outsider character. And and I have to say, and I'm not, I'm not plugging myself here, but St. Vincent and Cam heavily influenced two characters in my own work. Oh, good. And okay. that's, that's how, how appealing, you know, I, I think yeah. they are and how, and it's, it's a credit to Lisa Claypas, how dynamically she wrote both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, this was a tough one of who my favorite character was between Cam and St. Vincent. You can yeah. say both. I can say both. Yes. I just I loved St. Vincent's arc, his redemption arc, and just Cam was such an interesting character. Yeah. So, like, wh- who was the guy, the one before in the last book? Westcliff. Westcliff. He yeah. sucked. You didn't like him because he you thought he raped the girl while she was drunk. Yeah. And like <laughs> they made a big deal about that. And then St. Vincent's like, yeah, I just kidnapped her. I was probably never going to rape her. Right. Pro- probably. Right. Probably. Everyone's, everyone's like, no, he wouldn't have. Yeah. You don't have you don't have that in you. But Westcliff totally did. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you can't get off that. It's so perfect. It's can't be doing that. <laughs> um, where are we in the book? Oh, I don't know. I think we've just started talking. <laughs> uh, yeah, about other I stuff. Think that's I don't fine. think it matters. I don't think it matters either. I thought the whole thing with the what was the 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 dude with syphilis. That part was kind of cool. Bullard. Bullard. Yeah. Joss I don't Bullard. think enough people in historicals have syphilis. I don't know either. The fucking that's going on. Like 90% of these characters should be, you know, they should be having the syphilis. And they yeah. don't. And I it know wasn't, let are... me clarify. It wasn't yeah. cool that he had syphilis. <laughs> right. I know. It was cool. Like the side story that was, was cool that he was scorned that she was the favorite child, which I mean, he was his son, right? Yeah. He was Jenner's son. They thought so. And, and he Jenner chose Evie to be the sole heiress of everything he had. Yeah. So Ballard was pissed off and he wanted to kill her. Yeah. Just just to like, I'm gonna die and you're coming with me. Right. That's and at that point too, you. the brain is so addled with the with the disease. Yeah, that they are going crazy. Yeah. And and that's the other thing. Cam came in. He was just like, nah, this guy's got to go. I've known you since you're a kid, but bye. Right. <laughs> just smoked them. Cam kicks ass <laughs> all over the place. And in the most the best of ways, he's not like he doesn't have to be a tough guy about it. I know. He's not even a brute. He's just fucking suave. Yeah. Well, that's, those are the scary ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're low key. The so cerebral. Yes. I love that 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 character is the most cerebral of them all because <laughs> you know at that at the time period and still people think you know that that men and women of that ethnic heritage are yeah. stupid. Yeah. Which is ridiculous, but you know or or uh you know hot headed yeah. Yeah. 
Well, he is a very <laughs> passionate man. <laughs> he you has see that with passion. Daisy. Right. Um, yeah, I love I loved the part where, you know, the workers were not doing what they were supposed to do. Yes. And they were like, they're causing chaos on the floor, the parquet floor or something. Yeah, Yeah, they they got got drunk drunk and and, started fighting. Yeah. And then, uh, and then uh, all of the employees of the place just cleared out because they had to test St. Vincent's metal. Right. And Cam had to explain. I loved how he he explained to, to Evie. She's like, Cam, go in there, help him. And he's like, he has to do this like he just he knew and it's like this guy code that you know men know women don't know that you know they're testing him and like they're like they need to know that he's a strong pack leader but and kind of it like a lot of it like ugh, all right fine but I whatever love they're dogs but at the same cam- time I'm yeah sorry, it was are. cam that it explained it to her yes and he, I felt like it could have been very flippantly explained, but right. he didn't. He he explained it with enough care, but he used like an economy of words to to just let her know that this is okay. He'll be okay. He's actually doing a great job and things will be better after this. Right. And Yeah. And I love how Cam pushes St. Vincent yes. into the role yeah. that he's meant to be in. It's a great friendship between yeah. two men. Yeah. And we don't see that often in no. these historicals. We see the friendship between the women all the time. Mm-hmm. But we don't see a lot of, and we see some male bonding, but we don't see that kind of uh, where you're helping your male friend be a better man. And how much more interesting was that than any time the wallflowers actually get together? And it's just oh. four women talking about their corsets. Or they're like, are they in half mourning or full mourning since I wore velvet and not crepe? So does that mean I can wear brown? Like, that- that's so... Like, I, I love historical garb and I don't like reading those scenes. It's like, all right, I know you've got to put it in there to appease the people who want, like, you want the corset scenes. But, oh, my God, like, give me more men. That part was great, too, because of St. Vincent, where he's like, you just shotgun wedding a rake, and now you live in a gambling hall. No one cares what you're wearing. Right. (laughs) That's the least of their concern. Right. Right. You're like tainted and weird. So who cares? Just but own it. It's um but you're right, like the women um in this particular book, aside from Evie, were just I thought they dragged it down. I was like enough of the I I don't like those forced female scenes. No. It just feels like you're at a little girl's tea party. I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Again. You've got three girls who are being like little girls and then Evie who has to be an adult. She's the only one out of all four of these women who went through any sort of adult um, like uh, experience, you know, the death of her father. She's she's getting uh, 
you know, not only emotionally beat up, but physically beat up. Mm -hmm. And, and she, you know, she's about to be married off to, to someone who's going to do the same thing. And she, she has to extract herself from an abusive situation. She, her father is dying. You know, she doesn't have a voice. Um, and she had to find a solution. All the others are like, oh, I come from, you know, a wealthy family and I'm boyish. I'm a tomboy. How am I going to find a man? Like, that's their big struggle. What perfume should I wear today? Right. Like, that's not a fucking struggle. No. That's no struggle. No. And that that bothers me about a lot of, you know, these historicals. The struggles that these people have are not they're not real. And I understand there's some fantasy element involved with not, you know, with taking, you know, readers from their own lives, but still I I want the female to go through more than just, Oh my God, I've never touched a penis. You know, like (laughs) there has to be more of a, of a, of, of, of some challenge than that. I think that's why I like this book so much because it was, it was, gritty yes and and like down down to the when he took over the casino i don't know what do you call it the the hell the gambling, gambling. hell yeah. yeah and he's like i need to see your books like, yeah that's real i love that yeah like, I, I need love to see too. i need to see the dude in charge of the books well he doesn't let us see it well fuck him he's fired right uh-huh. and if he has a problem tell him to come see me i love and the first thing he tells cam is uh do you want to rob him drunk or do you want to rob him when he, tomorrow morning when he's sober? Right. Cam's like, well, okay, I guess this is the kind of boss I'm going to have. So, yeah. And I think yeah. it works well for Cam too. Yeah. He, like he gets it and he's, he's yeah. right. He's on board immediately. Yeah. So yeah, this, this book was just realistic. The other two, mm, the dudes were realistic. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but the stories weren't. I yeah. What really bothered me in the last book, which I I I don't know if I I touched upon, but it, it goes with what I was just saying, was that, um, you know that that scene where Lillian gets drunk in the library, yeah, and she's just sitting there giggling and hiccuping. Like I hate that when 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 they infantilize the heroine, and she starts giggling. Or, or hiccuping, like, oh, am I drunk? You know, like, I just, like, that shit drives me crazy. And maybe yeah. it's because I can't stand drunk women in general. Like, <laughs> I have a real aversion to drunk I women. I can't stand drunk people. Yeah. I, I, I think that it's easier for me to handle a drunk man than it is a drunk woman. Like, I, I just want to tear my hair out and shoot her in the head. But... You know, like there's something about that being the big, like, like she messes up because she gets drunk on brandy one after. It's just so far out mm-hmm. and 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 unphenomenal. It, mm-hmm. it was, you know, and and this book is phenomenal because the struggles are. I mean, her dad dies. Yeah, that's horrible. And he dies a horrible death. Yes. It's not an easy death. You no. know, like, oh, they, they passed away in their sleep bullshit. No. So, and I, 
I and they, find they that mentioned, very effective. They mentioned, like, I think Sebastian says his organs are, like, liquefying. Yeah, yeah. Like, that is some, like, that is something I would write. Right. <laughs> yes. This book, I mean, it's even timely for now. They had to wear a mask in there. <laughs> Stay six feet apart. <laughs> yeah. Stay by an open window. <laughs> yep. Yep. Just in case. You're absolutely right. It is timely. And it was, it was, I remember reading this and thinking about when I took care of my father when he was dying. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like this is, it felt real. It felt real to me. It didn't feel like a fairy tale. It didn't feel like a historical romance that was sort of like glossing over stuff. It felt real. <clears throat> Evie's exhaustion. Yeah. For one. Yeah. And it, yeah. it's easy to be like, oh, she was so tired. She fell into bed. But Klepas took that farther, like with the exhaustion. And I remember feeling that way. When my dad died, I was hospitalized twice for exhaustion. Oh. And uh, it. it it's a thing. Like I remember falling asleep, standing up and collapsing onto the ground. Like that's how tired I was. And, and, and she captures that in this scene. I thought it just worked really well. Mm -hmm. I think it's her best yeah. book. I think it's her best book. Uh, I don't want to hear that. Cause I've got to read <laughs> more of them. <laughs> the, uh, there's, there's equally as interesting. Okay. Equally as interesting. You know, but technically but, speaking, this is her. Yes. Best. Okay. Yes. All right. So, what about I'm trying to think? What else happened? Well, he got shot. He that was did get big. shot. Is that was that kind of the dark soul? Yeah, this was also interesting from like a romance plotting perspective. That there's no breakup, which yeah. I love. The breakup I, was he I almost love the no break broke up. up with the earth. <laughs> yes. Because how are you gonna how are you gonna break up your characters after he almost dies for you? Like really, no. they don't you don't need that kind of drama. And I feel like a lesser author, I was waiting for that. Like I'm waiting for her to like completely white or I was waiting for St. Vincent to completely white fang Evie and she's gonna like call his bluff and accept it. And go off and live in their town home or go back to Westcliff's manor. And then he's gonna come to a realization and you know have to carriage his way over in a hurry. But it never came. And it was so like it was so perfect that they that that like what is an like causes me to roll my eyes like wasn't there. And like the breakup for just because that's what happens at 85%. And on top of it, he like atoned for everything when he got shot. Yeah. Yeah. He he's like told Westcliff, like, I'm sorry, man. like if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna apologize for everything I did. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think the drama and the tension is waiting for Saint Vincent to grow up. Yeah. And to say, I love you. Yep. Yeah. I think that's what you're waiting for the whole time. And yeah. I think that's again like you said, much more spectacular than if they had parted and he went, you know, to go find her again and, you know, mm -hmm. so on and so forth. Because she's willing to accept a marriage where he doesn't even give a shit about her. And she's willing to love him. Even, yes. Like, even not expecting it to return. Correct. Like, when she says, when she, 
he's you know he's dying of sepsis and she she says like i love you like i'm gonna love you through this right and And isn't that what love is yes even when you know that it'll never be returned even when you know you can never be with that person you're still in love with them you still love them from a distance you love them yes yeah because love isn't this like thing that clicks and like then everything is like hunky dory afterwards right it's you know she knows like this is this is what i this is the choice that i am making mm-hmm. and that's that's the definition of love and right she loves him through it and like later on she like heals him through sex and <laughs> like and that part is great and yeah. they they uh they use the gypsy remedies and Right, like, and there's not too many love scenes in this book. Yeah. I, there's not too much physicality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do like that, um, you know, this is why I don't need a happily ever after. And this is what bothers me about romance readers who are like, there must be a happily ever after. Like, no, like, is it... 90% of the time love ends poorly it mm. ends badly in one way or another mm-hmm. you know just because high? you fall in yeah. love with each other doesn't guarantee a happy ending yeah it's enough that there's no guarantee there yeah. nothing and i so, feel like most of the people that do end up like married and living their lives together it's not the love that you see in the romance novels right it's, it's not. like I think it, this I think is it often it's a, yeah, it can be cases. if you're I think if people are willing to go there it can be but so often and I think that's why we read these romances where people are just like like what the fuck I'm just gonna escape my house and we're getting married in two days and we don't even know each other's first time we talked I think that's why they love these because they've decided to play it safe and they yeah. found somebody where they have a safe life and yeah. they're in their routine. They got, you know, they, they, they everything is is sort of scripted. They know where they stand. There's never any, there's never any of this heightened feeling because they don't allow themselves to go there. Mm-hmm. Most people don't. Most people remain in a safe zone. They don't allow themselves to feel too much and they don't allow themselves to feel too little. Yeah. But for me, the only the only route to true passion is to just throw it all out there is to be completely vulnerable and and to fuck safety and and throw it all out there and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I well, I agree. I think that's. um, I wish that was a lesson that could be learned. Like I wish for a lot of people they could learn that lesson in their twenties when you do and like and in your thirties when you do start settling down and you see people. But that's when you start that's when people start feeling getting safe and like they're yes. tied to their safety. Yeah. yeah. And and I feel like that's like it should be the opposite. Cause later on, you know, how many divorces do you see in people's like forties and fifties? And it's because they they love the one they were with in their 30s right 
and then it's not working out anymore. Like, I I feel like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my friends married, like, for safety. Like, they married, like, the ones that they were with, and they're all divorced. <laughs> so many are divorced. I, I know a lot of people who are married for safety, and they don't, they enjoy the routine because... They know what to expect every single day, and they they appreciate that. That sounds like a miserable existence to me. That is a miserable existence. (laughs) That is absolutely miserable. I'm not a lover of routine, and I don't not if I know what's coming during the day. I don't even want to be awake for it. Right, I'm not trying to be sleeping. No, like I, I just, I, I keep writing about this. Like I just, like, 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 when are we going to just throw caution to the wind? When are you just going to say like, I got to be, you know, I, there's more out there. There, there's a whole world worth taking. Why are we not seizing it? Why are we, you know, why are we sitting in front of the TV every Friday? We have movie night every Saturday. We spend family day and we have this dinner out at this restaurant. And then on Sundays, I go play golf and then I come home and then I do. It's like, oh, my God. Like, like just just and there's I listen, I've got routines that I do every single day. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that, like, everything has to be like that. You've got to you've got to seize life. You've got to seize opportunity. And And I think that that's what a lot of these historicals speak to seizing, you know, seizing that moment that most people can't, can't seem to find it within themselves to do. Yeah. Because they don't want this person to, to, to pass by. They can't, you know, they've decided I can't live without this, this energy, this person in my life. And, and they, they know they've got to seize the moment. So they do, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't, you don't find that in real life. What you find is exactly what you've described. I am with this person. Now's the time that I settle down. Now we have children. Now we have a home. Now we have a mortgage. Now we have a car, two cars, three cars. Now Mm -hmm. kids are, you know, in high school and shit's crazy. You know, like it's just there. They've bought into they bought into a lifestyle and certainly that works for many people too. I'm not saying it doesn't. A lot of people are passionate about that, but, but I have, I know many people that aren't and, and yet they claim to be, Mm. you know, because that's the only way that one can exist. Right. Oh, Mm -hmm. we're so in love. Right. We have a great routine. (laughs) (laughs) And I never, I would never want my love of of somebody to become routine. And the, the historical speak to this, you know, this is, this is what she finds with um, St. Vincent, you know, mm-hmm. uh, certainly never expected him to take over her father's business and never yeah. expected to be seen as a, as an equal partner in, in marriage and in business with him. I wonder if they would have been so in love if they would have gotten to this place, if he didn't take an interest or if, if she didn't inherit a gambling hell, if she was just, 
An heiress. You know, yeah. I yeah. agree. Or, you know, I, I gave, don't think so. She gave him something to do that was actually interesting to him. I think so, too. And I think he was so smart. He's like one of those dogs that acts out because he's so bored. Because he has right? such a teen <laughs> intellect. He needs something to do. He's a, he's a yellow you know, lab. <laughs> well, I know. I think he's more of like a German shepherd or something. He needs a oh. job. Like a job where he has to think and, you boss know, perform. What? Boss other people around. Yeah. And I think I, I think he was always in search of a way to use his brain. And finally he found it. And I love the way he fell in love with a club the same way he fell in love with her. Like it was like slowly he, he started to notice like the wallpaper was a little bit threadbare. And the carpet was not as nice as he remembered seeing it. And, right. you know, the paint was chipping or whatever it was. And like, oh, okay. Like, he's like looking at it like, hmm, this, this needs work. And then, and then he just starts seeing it immediately. He just like, he makes this decision and it's almost like, well, well let me just see. And then, and then once he's seen like, there's just no turning back. And it's the same way he falls in love with her. Like, he starts to notice her hair and, and her skin and her figure. And then, like, it's just more and more and more. And it's just, like, snowballing into into love for both the club and for her. And I, I feel like his... I don't know. He's just a late bloomer. Like, yeah, he was a rake. Yeah. But that's not even the biggest thing about him. Like, his raked-dom and scoundrel-dom. It's the fact that he just... He's, like, a a late bloomer in life. He just, he found his calling late. Right. So well, I, I identify with that. I was have, just going to say, <laughs> it sounds familiar. <laughs> I'm a super late bloomer in life. We have talked a lot about uh, Victorian women and mm -hmm. their lack of purpose. Mm -hmm. And and I think for, for most of them across the board, unless you're in the, in the lower classes where you, you had to work. Yeah. But, um, but we've never talked about the Victorian gentleman. Mm -hmm. And what does this man do? What do these lords do? Yeah, they, sh they should be managing their estates. I mean, we've seen this on Downton Abbey. You know, yeah. they should be taking a keen interest <laughs> in their estates and managing it appropriately. Um, but let's say those estates are running, you know, fairly well. And then they have their estate managers and all the people taking care of shit. What are they supposed to do? They have their sports, their pursuits, right? The horses, yeah. the guns, the hunting. But what are they supposed to do with their lives? You know, so you you see uh you see St. Vincent just falling apart in this this life where it is all about being a lazy fuck with a lot of money. Yeah. And yeah. he then has something and somebody to make meaning with. And I think that, like you said, he's like, he blooms late, but also he's part of a world in which the men, like the women, are sort of infantilized in many ways. Yeah. You know, the, the men were kept from doing, you know, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of things that they they could have been doing. They, 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 they had the choice to do them or not, but it was not seen as gentlemanly to, to have that much interest in your own tenants, to, um, to be interested in agriculture, yeah. to be interested in, 
in, uh, you know, industrialization. That wasn't seen as gentlemanly to have, you know, to be even concerned about your own wealth was not seen to be gentlemanly, yes. right? So yep. what the fuck are these men supposed to do? Yeah. Well, they're going out and they're they're screwing people. And I think one of the best examples of this, and then not just because I, I've rewatched it and reread it recently, is, is Dangerous Liaisons, oh, where you that. just have a bunch of people who who don't have anything to do, who are just creating drama that, that yeah. really destroys lives. Yes. And because they're bored and they have nothing else to, how else are you going to divert yourself? So, you know, it, it, for St. Vincent, you know, he's sort of languishing in his home, like slowly, like, you know, being impoverished. And and living this horrible life where he's just finding some sort of solace and getting drunk and fucking women, all of a sudden, it's offered a whole new life to him, one that he never he never thought about. And that's yeah. that's very interesting to me in this book because in the other books that we've read in this series in particular, and in most of Claypass's other books, the men have the men have chores, they have worth, they have a, they have a pursuit, right? Yes. Whether it's industrial or, or, or yeah. uh, Westcliff, who was so concerned with not only industrialization and his where his money was going, but his estate, and, yes. and his tenants, and, and all of that. And, um, and then you get your, who would be the, the most normal of the Lord's, and that's St. Vincent, where there's nothing for him to do. Yeah. But I've got great clothes. I'm handsome <laughs> as fuck. I, you know, I've great taste in liquor and wine and tobacco. And, and well, that's great. What am I doing with myself? Yeah, you know? it sucks, though, because, like, the fun stuff is not fun anymore. No, because that, that's, that's all you, that's it. Work. Yeah. Right? The fun stuff is work. Right, it's not. I mean, it's not a joy. Work, work isn't fun, but I like doing it because it's something like. At the end of the day, I'm tired. I want to go home, but I got a lot done. <laughs> right, I would never not work, but you know, I do enjoy not having to work. Mm -hmm. Right, those times off, mm -hmm. you know. Those are those are a pleasure, but when that's all you have is time off. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing that we're not. And I and maybe I'm just you know a lot of a lot of women would say would be too kind to men, but it's amazing that we don't see more stories like the yellow wallpaper, where it's the man who's languishing, the yeah. man who's who has nothing to do, and that's probably because you know you're you're wealthy and you have all the power. Stop moping around, but. <laughs> They really, their place in society was so tightly, you know, so tightly uh, constructed. And it, and it wasn't like that in other countries. You know, in, in Russia, the nobility and the aristocracy was, was often gainfully employed. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they were industrialists. They were statesmen. They, um, 
they were, uh, you know, they they were agriculturalists. They weren't in the fields farming, but they were running that operation. They were mm-hmm. they were running, you know, mines and and so on and so forth. And they were gainfully employed, and that was normal. And there was nothing wrong with that. It's only really in England and and France and some of these. You know, Prussians and so on, so where it's where it's like, oh, the Lord's, you know, it's hands off. You don't do anything, because it's it's terrible to see you dealing with money or being a merchant. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in many other countries, that wasn't the case with the aristocracy, and and I'm surprised we don't see more uh, of men going nuts. Maybe it's just because they got the syphilis and <laughs> <laughs> they go nuts that way, but. <laughs> There is a scene, there is a, a quote that Sebastian says that Jonathan, you alerted me to this before I read it, and it says, "Morality is only for the middle classes. The lower class can't afford it, and the upper classes have entirely too much leisure time to fill." And that speaks to that, like, yeah. I said, <laughs> I said that's a th- that's a something I saw on Instagram. It was during that whole uh, GameStop thing mm-hmm. with the shorts, the short selling the stocks, mm-hmm. and the, the 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 caption was "What's <laughs> something classy for rich, but trashy if you're poor?" It's like manipulating the stock market. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it is like trashy. Like poor people will do something that's considered trashy that rich people do. Is like, hmm, that sounds like fun. It was the same thing. Right. All right. So let's go to the BBL. Okay. The, the book, book boner level. So oh. there there wasn't a lot in it, but by the sounds of it. <laughs> so one through five, one being no turn on at all and five being very turned on. Where do you rate it? Two. Two? Yeah. I thought it was good. I mean... Two is not good? No, no, no. Two out of five? Yeah, but I think it had to be a two. I mean, who wants... Who wants a book about a rake where his lovemaking is just like, you know, anybody, any like whore that he's fucked before. Like if he was like having all kinds of like crazy sex with her all the time and it was on page, like, but I think she chose the moments where they were like making love and it was like more meaningful than like athletic or acrobatic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I didn't think it was particularly, you know, steamy. Okay. I'm I'm giving it a five. Okay. Not because of the actual sex on the page. Uh-huh. Oh, there was very little. Very uh-huh. little. This was so much more romancy. But I just Saint Vincent turns me on just his character so for me it was always off the charts because he was (laughs) he was on every page Mm -hmm. but it wasn't the implicit sex on the page it was more i love this guy yeah it's fantastic yeah i'll say three and a half four just because of 
just the leverage she used. Oh. And him having to like actually work. Yeah. And then when he finally when it finally happened, he there's it's like a sense of relief for him. And not so much physical, but like, all right, this is this is for real now. Like he's leaning into the whole idea yeah. of them being Yeah. Yeah. What Claypaws could have inserted here, what this book could have used was a few good masturbation scenes. Because of that whole waiting. I think he no, here. but I think his his thing was to be celibate. And celibacy means not touching yourself. Touching. Yeah. Is that what it means? I think chastity. I think that's the <laughs> difference between chastity and celibacy. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I know that knew. from my my knew. Catholic priest deep dive. Like Catholic priests oh, are yes. celibate they're and they're not supposed to masturbate. Priest. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're right. They're not supposed to. But I always thought that's just because Catholics tell you not to do anything pleasurable. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well... Is there anything else? There's probably a ton else that we didn't talk about, but I'm looking at my looking at my notes. I've got Cam exclamation point exclamation point. <laughs> I think we touched on Cam. We did. Pretty touch sure on we got Cam. <laughs> we did. We touched on male sluts. That's also capitalized. Male sluts. <laughs> In my notes. Yeah, this is, and this is fairly early too in the Victorian period. I mean, Jesus, mm-hmm. she lived for so long. I mean, this she is, was already reigning yeah. for like 20, over 20 years at this point, but it's only ni- 1843. Yeah, this is a weird time period for me, the 1840s. Like, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like St. Vincent. This is not his time. I want to put him in the 1860s I or do in the Regency. Too. I do too. But mostly like later Victorian. See, for me, it, there's like this dead period right before industrialization. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then there's the point where it's almost too much. Like you're in the 1890s and you're like, like this, like, what the fuck did they have that we don't have aside from cell phone service <laughs> I know. and the internet? You know, know, and I don't like that either. That's a yeah. little bit too much like I'm already living there, right? Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. you know, they're sending each other, you know, telegrams. They're they're going across yeah. the, the ocean in a couple days. They're, you know, yeah. like we're just a few years from flight, you know, the yes. first the flight, right? So yeah. for me, like, and they're even like at that point too, computers start to they start working with computers off of old automatons and stuff like that. Mm. So like the idea of the computer like starts to manifest itself. Most of what happens in medicine happens before that. Yeah. The civil war did a huge, but you know, like, you know, the 1890s for me is too much like I'm living into 2021 and, and, then the 1840s, that could be just like this. That could be like the 1700s, as I'm concerned. I know. You know, like yeah, it, it's it. But the Regency is different yeah. somehow because I think the at that point they were starting to experience some 
uh, technological advances, right? But mm-hmm. that they didn't go anywhere for like another 30 years. Yeah. Right? And there's a that period. Yeah. So the 1840s is a difficult and strange place for me. It's liminal, you know? It could be any time. Yeah. I so. always remember, like, being in... I was in the stage makeup class once in college and we had to do like according to our face shape and like what and our features like we were placed in a certain time period and for our like our beauty makeup week or like month or whatever it was like we had to like we had to do our own makeup and like a beauty theater makeup for the time period that our faces fit the best and my face fits the best in the 1840s and I was pissed I was what? so pissed why is that what is <laughs> the 1840s because I have big face. cheeks I think and <laughs> but I had to make my cheeks like really big and my eyes really small and my lips really small and like <laughs> but I was so mad that I didn't get a better time period but that's what I always think of, like, the 1840s, is doing the stupid, like, makeup for 1840s. Like, I don't know. I think I would have been good in the 1980s makeup. I think, like, if I did some Bowie, like, late 70s. Like, <laughs> yeah, that would be I, cool. I think I could get away with that. Yeah. I don't know. Where's my face So I would say the 20s, too. My face fits in the 20s? No, your face fits in the... I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I didn't have to do men's makeup. You no, know, I feel like with your beard and stuff, like, like I, I mean, you could. I mean, I mean, if you wore a wig, we could put you definitely in the late <laughs> 1700s, right? Like right. or or like early to to mid 1700s, maybe. Like I just feel like you could be a musketeer. <laughs> They come later, but you could yeah, be a can musketeer. Wouldn't a he musketeer. be a great musketeer? Yeah. Yeah, but then I have to be French. Oh, you like <laughs> a lot of French stuff. I do. Like what? Cheese. Uh, Cheese. Well, you Everyone's like French got... Canadians. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you gonna be a voyager? A what? Voyager? A French Canadian voyager? Like a running, trapper? running around in your see... canoe? Trapping shit, skinning animals. Yeah. I would yeah. do that. <laughs> oh, I feel like you'd be a better musketeer. You'd look better in the clothing. You could pull the musketeer clothing off. Not many people can. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I don't know what the... I mean, only the only thing I have for musketeers is the Disney movies. Have the, you never seen uh, like three musketeers like bar? Don't they I have saw the, the men I there saw anymore with the, the the big hats with the feathers and shit? Yeah, I saw the one with uh, what's his name from uh, Kiefer Sutherland, and then the the sequel with Leonardo DiCaprio, the Man my, in the Iron Mask. But my rival not high school great. were the Cavaliers, and both that's sort of great. the same thing. Yeah, they're they're similar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just not I mean, on foot. They were on horses. But they, well, they had were the... badasses with like swords. They were like the elite guard. Yeah. They were yeah, Louis' elite guard. All right. 
Musketeer. All for one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's a good place to stop because this is long. And Patriot, you got to drive tomorrow. So I do. I, for my own for my own musketeering workshop. Yep. Would it, would it be musketeering or samurai? No, it'd be well. I don't know if it's even we could call it samurai. Let's just say we're going to be holding wooden swords that are modeled on the the katana. I believe is okay. how you pronounce it. Yep. But I'm not even going to put myself in any sort of in any sort of situation with samurai. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. Well, what's the next one in the series? Is it an autumn book? It is spring. Or it's spring. We're going to do spring, spring in autumn. Yep. We are so backwards in our. But yeah, that's, that's okay. okay. In our wildflower series. It was they so really hot. They not have much to do no. with the season. Although they no. were cold no, they a don't. lot in this one. But autumn was really disappointingly unautumnal. Yeah. yeah. I think it was just clever names to define yeah. the series. That was yeah. it. Four wallflowers, four seasons. Great. And they made that wish, right? At the beginning of the series, we're all going to get like something happens within a year and then they have to go, right? So, yeah. All right. Well, till next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, being with us, Petra. Thanks for the disgusting questions. (laughs) We'll do that again next time, too. (laughs) Fantastic. Good night. Good Good night. night.